Just say, look at how the time goes. And welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Today I'm talking with a good friend of mine I haven't seen you in quite a while, Eirik Sörvik. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm hanging in there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there. It's, uh, it's another good day in Norway, man. <laughs> you know, it depends. If you're as sensitive <laughs> to the sun and heat as I am, you know, it's uh, pretty you know, grueling. You know what? Sensitive to the sun. Let me tell you something. I, I've, I've tried to say this to people before, and they, they just don't get it. They don't believe me. Yeah. I, I've been in Norway now for 18, 19 years, 18 years, yeah. something like that. And I noticed right away from that very first summer back in 2002, there is, some, I don't know if it's the ozone layer. I don't know. I, I don't know what the thing is, but the sunlight here in Norway, in all seriousness, is, I mean, it feels like I'm baking in a microwave oven. Oh, really? I get heat rash. I get burnt. Like I ne- it, that never happened to me before back home in the states. The heck it's is not it? just because you dismiss the dangerousness of the rays because of the longitude. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. Is, is is Norway closer to the sun? I don't know what's going on, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no. But you know, Norway yeah, does true. have the highest occurrence of skin cancer. You know what? I got a bit where I mention that uh, these days. Oh, uh, man. I just bring that up. I start railing a bit about against the sun and stuff and how Norwegians don't have good habits when it comes to this. And uh, I say, <laughs> oh, yeah, fun, a little, you know, we, we have higher occurrence of skin cancer than Australia, which is a little fun fact. Well, it's a fact. <laughs> it's a, not so fun, but it is a fact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, there is something about that. Um, I don't know. What is it? Is because it's so dark, so in, in such long periods of time throughout the year that when the sun does come out, you guys just you, you've you've just got to get it. I think it, like I think it's also like I my my ex wife she's from California she's from Los Angeles and she just knows how to open the doors and windows to make that cross breeze work out you know and yeah. Norwegians were we don't know that stuff we know how to we know how to navigate on icy roads and slopes and uh, Californians <laughs> look a bit silly doing that but. Uh, that yeah, thing, the that, sun we're definitely not good with. That thing about the cross breeze, you, 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 you're speaking some truth right there. My wife, <laughs> I tell you, we, we have almost had our marriage ended because she shut a door or a window that has killed my cross breeze. <laughs> Sounds like you got your priorities straight. <laughs> got my priorities straight. Shout out to my Snoopy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just got to ask you, uh, what is it that got you into stand-up comedy? Initially, like I remember being a kid and, you know, I started discovering things like Seinfeld and then Eddie Murphy and stuff like that. And then when I was 18, a friend of mine uh, put me onto Bill Hicks and I realized, oh, you can say some home truths with this. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't always have to be funny. You can be uncomfortable. You can bring some you can rain some stuff down on people. And uh, that's when I fell in love with it. But I never thought I had the aptitude for it. I thought different people do that. People who are outgoing, naturally funny, you know. Well, you, you, you I, could, I would classify you as naturally funny. I, I like your act. Mm-hmm. I love it. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it often. What maybe three times I've seen you on the mic, but each mm-hmm. time I thought you did well. Uh, yeah, but thanks. I do see. But I do see that quiet and shy and introverted part of you. Am I right? Is that there as well? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I actually. Yeah, I started doing stand up like just a few months after you. No. Uh, yeah, a couple of months after you, I think, because you started in March 2019, was it? Yes. 
That's correct. Yeah, I on my uh, the same week as my birthday, my thirty first fourth fourth birthday. <laughs> God, that's a, that's that's a hard number for Norwegians, mm. I guess. <laughs> this is this is terrible to have on wax because my, English is my big pride. It's the one thing I'm unabashedly proud of. But uh, and you should be. Your English is is yeah. perfect. Oh, uh, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, thirty fourth birth birthday. I uh, that same week I went on stage for the first time because I was like, well, let's find out. You know, I've been wanting to do this. It doesn't feel right, but let's try it. And it's just stuck. It just ha- it was a big aha moment for me. It's like, oh, that anxiety of mine is right at home up here. You know, that's interesting that you touch on yeah. that because I am a. <sighs> I, I, I say some crazy stuff in front of the mic. I really do. But yeah. at heart, you know, in my day-to-day life, I am very much the isolationist, the introvert. Yeah. Uh, uh, anxiety has a place in my life. But you, you don't know, make waves. No, well, yeah, I do that. Okay. <laughs> Quite unintentionally, but it happens. Um, <laughs> hello, podcast. No, but... Um, <laughs> But I look at I look at doing stand up as a treatment for that introverted side of me. In other words, I'm yeah. forcing myself, consciously forcing myself into a difficult situation. Is there anything? Is there any elements of that with you stepping in front of the mic? Uh, are you trying to yeah, battle? No. Are you trying to battle something in your in your persona? Actually, my pastor was interesting because uh, there's this my, – my favorite comedian is a guy called Stuart Lee. He's a British guy, and he's got this one bit where he talks about how he's in a cab. It's the same day they're voting on the same-sex marriage bill in the U.K., and a Hindu cab driver tells him that, you know, that's no, that goes against whatever thing he believes in. And he's like, I wonder which Hindu god prescribes that you shouldn't have sex with somebody of the same gender. I hope it's the one that looks like it's the result of the sexual union between a man and an elephant. <laughs> and then he goes, I didn't say that in real life. I didn't say that then because I'm not funny in real life. I thought of it two weeks later, and then I wrote it down, and I came to you guys, and I said it here on stage. Uh, and, and that's literally what he says. Yeah. And that to me made me go, oh, yeah no it's a process it kind of explained the process yeah 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 and it made me go okay so you don't have to be the funniest guy in the room mr life of the party you know you can you can be mr awkward in the corner with your thoughts but when you go on stage you can turn that cannon that in that cannon that's pointed in towards you you can aim that outward and make people laugh because stand up there's another thing that's interesting about stand up like i uh, i listen to this podcast can you plug other podcasts here sure absolutely we love <laughs> okay. everybody if you like if you like uh, in depth talks about stand up there's a one called uh, let's talk about sets ah. <laughs> as in stand up sets yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, and they talk, uh, at one point they have a guest on, and they go, uh, at what point did small talk get hard for you guys? And then they all agree, like, oh, yeah, around year three, it becomes painful to do small talk. And that's because small talk is the opposite of what you do on stage. When you're on stage, you stare into the heart of darkness. You, you, you want to talk about stuff that's not proper. But small talk is about the opposite. It's about not touching any nerves at all. So stand-up mm-hmm. is basically priming yourself to become good at not doing small talk. <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. That's a good yeah. way of looking at it. So you, you got this, you got the, the, the desire to do stand up. How much work did you do on your material before you got in front of the mic that first time? <laughs> Actually, uh, I, I, I uh, went to this very, very low key mic at a Mediterranean restaurant in Oslo called uh, Hobsuck. And they just have a back room and there's a good, bunch of people a lot of regulars and they're all just there to have a good time and be supportive of people right and i was the only guy doing stand-up 
What was it like an open uh, mic thing for people to perform? Yeah, whatever? straight open mic. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, first time I went, I was just like, I'll, I'm just going to be in the room. I'm just going to, you know, case it, and then I'll come back next month. So that one month, I actually sat down and I was writing, and I came in with some risque material, like stuff I would be very hesitant to do now because I don't feel I have the chops. But it was true to me, and you, you know, you got to start from there, right? Sure. So sure. I went up, and I did ten minutes, I think. Which is a lot. It is. Somebody's just starting, but you it don't is. know it at that time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I did really well. And then halfway through the set, I was like, oh, this is actually going well. And then I started freaking out. Like a kid, you know, somebody's <laughs> let go of the bike. And then they realize I'm doing this on my own. And then they, you know, crash. Yeah. Uh, I didn't quite crash. I got off stage before that happened, but that was that was my first experience. Yeah. But you could feel the crash. <laughs> you could feel the crash. Oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I could feel myself wavering as I realized, oh, I'm doing it. I'm doing uh, it. <laughs> yeah. How how so how difficult is you, or is it an is it an issue for you to remember to be able to remember your material? That's probably uh, my biggest problem. I have so, and, and I this is the same thing when I'm on stage singing as as a, as a musician. Yeah. I really have a problem remembering lyrics or remembering my material. Even so, the, when I'm the one that wrote the song, I'm the yeah. one that wrote the stand-up material, but I can't remember it when I'm in that moment. Is that an issue yeah, no, for you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, less so after I got more comfortable on stage, because when I used to get nerves and stuff like that, then I'd wig out and then you'd forget stuff and you'd yeah. rush and, you know, but less and less. But uh, the, the thing about stand-up I find is that, uh, uh, like you have to keep so many things in mind, right? So it's how, your cadence and how you say things, where you put your emphasis, your body language, what's my material. Uh, and then you've got to feel the room and be like, okay, they really like that bit. Let's milk that a bit. Yeah. Or let's acknowledge something that happened in the room, you know, and, and there's just so many things you have to be aware of at the same time that it's so easy to just, oh, I forgot that one tag that would really tie the bit together, you know? Yeah. Or, I remember so, reading one... You know, interview with Chris Rock. This was for maybe around 2002, 2003. And Chris Rock said that he has a, uh, a, a technique where he wants to punch the audience in the face <laughs> three times. Like, let's okay. say he has a joke about, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, he's going to say something about white people. And he'll yeah. say, you know, the, and I'm just, I'm just making something up here, but to illustrate, he'll, he'll, he would say like, uh, uh, you know, white people can't dance. Okay, mm. that's the first punch. And then the audience will laugh. Mm. And then he'll say, no, and I, they really can't dance. And when they dance, they look like this. And then he'll act it out. And then they'll laugh again. Mm -hmm. And then he'll tie that again by saying, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's a, yeah. a three-way thing. And it's like a, um, it's, it's, it's a well-thought-out technique that he has. Do you have any Aedic-isms, <laughs> you know, techniques within your technique that you try find, to use? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I'm still figuring out my voice. I'm like, I can picture okay. myself a year from now or a year, two years from now being like, I was just going on stage just wearing my me suit, and then yeah. I finally found the comic version of that. You know, I, I can picture myself doing that because right now it's just a souped-up version of me. But uh, there's definitely things I do. Like one thing I do, I tend to sometimes, some of my bits, 
like they go flat on purpose and then comes what seems like a saver, like a line that's supposed to just be like, oh, well, I can improvise it funny yeah. and relieve the tension. But actually some of my jokes are relying on that. It's like actually the worse the run-up goes, the better the actual joke is because uh, it relies yes. on the breaking that tension. Yeah. I like to I like to hit them with, I call it the ooh-ah-ha-ha. Ha. Yeah. I'll say something like, for example, I have a bit about my son overdosing uh, and dying yeah. on heroin. I mean, that's terrible. And I say mm -hmm. something along those lines and the audience literally very often is, ooh. Yeah. And then I come with a little something that where it might make them smile reluctantly. And then it comes the, yeah. ah, and then I hit them with the punchline and then the laughter comes. So it's that yeah. swinging of emotion that you try to get out of the crowd. That is, it's kind of fascinating. It's very difficult to do, but when it works, it's instant yeah. success. Actually seeing really good comics. I mean, after all, if you look at people like, yeah, Chris Rock or Louis CK, they, they got them so good that they can be storytellers and they can just hold the mic and seem like they're just relating to you. Right. Yeah. yeah. If you look at their older material, it's so clear. I'm going to walk you to the left and then I'm going to punch you to the right yeah. and you're going to feel it even harder because I committed to walking you to the left. Right. Actually, that's something I've been getting more and more conscious about. There's a guy called, uh, I don't know if you know, Inga Humlung. Yes. Very yes. funny comedian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very, very, uh, for people who don't know, he's very, very like, his style is so lethargic. He seems like he's <laughs> not having a good time. He seems very stressed out about going on stage. And he was giving me a note the other day, he, uh, a few weeks ago, like he was saying that, Eirik, you're like me. You're one of those depressed, cynical uh, academics. Why are you smiling so much on stage? And, you know, he doesn't like it. He says he'd like to wipe my smile off with his fist. That's what literally what he said to me. <laughs> and the point was well taken, actually, because after that, I started being a lot more serious. And, like, it, the, the urge is like, oh, the joke worked. And then you want to laugh and yeah. be a part of that fun time, right? But if yeah. you can hold the serious energy, if you can be the fool, uh, it, yeah. I think it's even funnier still sometimes. How? So that's something I'm working on. So what does your ratio of... Mike success versus bombing on the mic. Are you more, <laughs> have you been more often successful uh, or more often you're bombing because you're trying out new stuff? This is so hard to judge because I feel like every time I level up a little bit, like a few months will go and I'll feel like, Oh, I'm grasping something I didn't grasp before. And then I'll be way more critical of my, you know, I could do sets that it would be like unmitigated successes for me a month ago, but now they're like, nah, it's not good enough. You know? Yeah. So I don't know if I want to say I've ever had, I've had, I, I've had two or three good sets. I know that much. <laughs> I've had, I've uh, had some great sets, but I will say that I probably, I don't want to say I've bombed more than I've killed, yeah. but I will say that I have been dissatisfied more often than yeah. I've been satisfied. I've got a high standard. I'm constantly yep. analyzing what I do. Uh, I record all of my sets and I Same. listen yeah and I listen to them afterwards and one thing that surprises me is very often when I walked off of the mic feeling pretty bad thinking I didn't do well at all and I go yeah. back and I listen to it I'm like wait a minute yeah I thought I was bombing but people are laughing yeah so so I I think my biggest my biggest issue the thing that I need to work with the most is to get out of my head while I'm on the mic, I just need to do my routine and analyze it afterwards. I think I'm analyzing it during, yeah. and that's not good. That's not good. 
Also, you're not relying on a shtick of being some sort of loser. I mean, you're pretty comfortable on stage, and you you come across as a you know jovial, you know vivacious kind of guy, <laughs> right? Whereas other, some of us, we come across as kind of we're we're bona fide losers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you don't want confidence because that'll screw up your set. <laughs> well, you have this. Well, you have this charming underdog thing about you when you're oh, when thanks. you're on stage. It's like, oh, okay, come on, let's listen to this guy, and then you, and you get up there. And it and it it just fits your material fits that persona that you portray before you even start talking. That is very nice to hear. I don't you know it's it's hard to get good feedback and stuff and people commenting on your essence and what you come across as. And the more people get to know you and stuff, the more they'll bring to the table. So, getting somebody who's seen me you know as you say three times and that's uh, valuable to me. But um, yeah, if I listen back to my sets and stuff, generally, I've had the same experience as you're talking about, where uh, I go, oh, that was a weak set, and then I listen to it, and I'm like, ah, I didn't sound, I didn't yeah. waver as much as I felt I did. That person was really liking it, you know, that, that's one of the things I love about listening to old recordings and stuff. It's like, there's somebody who can't help yes, themselves. Yes, You broke them. Well, that's, uh, I, I always do my best to play off of that. I, I, I enjoy yeah. hecklers. Uh, and I think there's two different types of hecklers. There's the hecklers that are actively trying to disturb you for whatever reason. They've just got that meanness in them, which I, I think is actually really out of line. But, but again, I welcome that challenge and I've had mm -hmm. those hecklers, but then there's the other hecklers who feel they, you know, they're liking you so much that they feel like yeah. they have to join you in a one-on-one -on -one conversation yeah. in front of the crowd. Good joke. I got a topper for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no, for one the best, the best night I ever had was in Myeongdong. We were four mm -hmm. or five uh, comedians there. It was packed. Uh, Ulsan Poyerna in, uh, in Myeongdong. And <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's a great place for stand up. Uh, next time we're going to do something out there, the club here in Drummond, next time we're going to do something out there, I'm going to let you know. Drop see, my hand. see if I can get you in there, man. It's a great place. They love stand-up there, uh, which is a problem, in at least in this part of Norway. You, It's hard to find a good stand-up crowd. I'm not trying to be mean, but people around here seem to not – it's not the same as it is in Oslo. In Oslo, you can go, oh, to, pl you can go to places, and they're ready for stand-up, whereas here yeah. in, in Drummond and in the districts around Drummond – you kind of have to, it's hit or miss whether or not that crowd is there for stand-up. You don't have to tell me because I'm, I'm from the northwest coast of Norway, mm. like uh, Sundmöre. That's uh, right, that's and, right. Yeah. And I, that's another reason why I started so late because I've, I lived there for seven years leading up to 2018 and there's no place there's no to There's no stand-up community, no, no. There's nine hours of drive to Trondheim, <laughs> there's nine hours south of Bergen and there's nine hours to Oslo. I'm perfectly equidistant between everything of interest. Really isolated <laughs> in the yeah. stand-up world. No, but what, what I was going to say, the best, uh, the, one of the best shows I I had uh, was it was there in Myeongdong and, and talking about hecklers there were these uh, two or three there were three ladies sitting right in the front row and you, know, you you've seen me and, and you see me sitting here now I'm a, I'm a big muscular black guy so I get yeah. up on stage and I was wearing my jacket and I took my jacket off and the lady in the front row went woo, woo like that and I'm like okay here we go and I just started playing off of that about, you know, yeah. the, 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 the black sexuality thing. And I didn't stay on that topic, but just that relationship, if you will, with those ladies yeah. sitting right there in the front and that they were so vocal. Yeah. It played into my act 
And I had maybe almost 10 minutes of improvisation based Mm -hmm. upon what those ladies were saying and doing. So it's more comfortable improvising than me. (laughs) Well, well, it's, it's not that I'm comfortable improvising. It's just that that was one moment. That was just one moment that I was, I don't know, fortunate enough to see and Mm -hmm. just grasp onto. And it went well. But then, that stuff will earn you so many points because people oh, realize you're in the room. It's not like you're going to wheel across town and say the same thing. It's like, no, 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 that was for this room. Exactly. And therein lies, for me, the biggest challenge. How do I keep it fresh? How do I keep it new? Because as I said, there's not a lot of opportunities to do stand-up around here in the Drummond area. And yeah. you you tend to, you know, at the Drum and Comedy Club, we have our, uh, now, we, now we're taking a break from it, but for a while, every other Wednesday, we would have our thing, but it would always be the same people showing up. And it's like, mm. I'm not ready to move on to new material because I'm still working on my old stuff. Yeah, I know. I get that. In the beginning, I was so reluctant to bring the same set over, even if I didn't know the same people were going to be there, because I just felt like, well, if somebody else is there and they see me do the same set... I, yeah. I felt weird about that yeah. until I saw a guy, Espinosa, go on, and he did, he did a joke about he was talking about how Wikipedia gives Hitler a fair shake. Like, <laughs> you look down his list of achievements and stuff, and it's like, oh, okay, got early elected into Parliament and stuff. This dude, you know, he gets a fair shake. First time he did that set, the crowd was like, yeah, you know, yeah. and the second time they were like, okay, okay. And then the third time they were dying, you know, so that made me go, okay, yeah, you got to workshop it and keep it fresh. And you have to work through it. You know, I, um, and it, it's an interesting process because, uh, for example, I did my set at, I think it was the last time I saw you. No, the, not the last time, but the time before that at Coffee Mead, uh, mm-hmm. I was working on all new material. I did that material and it went fairly well, as I remember. The next night, I came back to Drummond and did the same set, and it bombed. I'm yeah. talking crickets, crickets chirping, yeah. and people were sharpening their, their knives ready to go after me. It, was, it just went horrible. So, How was the room for the rest of the lineup? Uh, there were a couple guys that did quite well, absolutely, yeah. So yeah. maybe it was just the timing, it was the delivery. I listened to both of them, and there was some variation. There were some nuances that were a little bit different, but, but I, I don't know. It, it just totally bombed the second night. I don't know. I mean, I, I've only done one set in Drummond, and, and that was uh, it was a bit rough. <laughs> Thankfully, I brought two friends, uh, so uh, they gave me some support. But uh, I think <laughs> I, I was on I was on like third, and the first kid was a completely fresh kid. I remember. I remember that. And he did that. He did that rookie thing, like let's just go for pedophile jokes right off the bat. <laughs> and it's. Uh, I remember that night. But, but you know, not 101. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's just a, I don't want to say anything bad about the people of, of Drummond, yeah. but I don't see Drummond as a stand-up comedy <clears throat> town. I just don't. It doesn't seem, yeah. I mean, I've seen, I've been there at some of these nights at Union Scene and at the, at the <clears throat> you know, when the Drummond Club is doing their thing. And some of these guys are killing, you know, Babek Namati, he doesn't, he doesn't yeah. have a bad set. He doesn't have not a bad night. He kills every time. And yet yeah. the crowd has been like, eh. Yeah. So, so I've, I've had that experience a few times, being in a room, seeing somebody just hammer in a whole really good set. And I'm like, what? Why aren't you laughing, people? Yeah. yeah. 
So it's it's such a it's such a strange thing. Uh, I don't know. And also, when you're talking about material working one day and not the next, I've had times where I was like, I just think of something to top or tag onto a joke in the moment, and it really works. And I'm like, oh, that's the thing that'll tie it together. And then the next time when I do it on purpose, it's just not. You know, I, I think yeah. it's so hard to get the right energy and stuff. And I've also heard about comedians being like, they do a set for months on end, and then all of a sudden they just lose it and they need to give it a break to yeah. get that freshness back yeah. because. When, this is another thing why stand-up is so hard because it's a, when you do it best, it seems like you're just talking shit with your friends, right? So it looks like there's there's no artifice or anything to it. You know and, when I'm uh, at my best? I'm at my best when I'm sitting with my wife and I'm just yeah. doing everything I can to make her feel uncomfortable. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and to get laughter out of her when I'm doing that, I'm like, yeah, I'm funny. And then I'll take, and, and I've actually, a lot of my routine has come from these conversations with my wife. Yeah. Excellent. Yep. Yeah, no, yeah, I love that when, um, by the way, uh, I meant to bring up something because I, I was, I, I've been listening to some of your podcasts and stuff and you were talking to Joachim Aikiri about stand-up too, right? Yeah, yeah. And and you said something like, your Norwegian is good enough that you could do stand-up in Norwegian, but you felt like Absolutely. you needed to, you needed to do the English because that's your voice, that's you, right? Yeah. Uh, when I started, I started in English. Oh. I used my affected British accent that you've heard me do, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sense. And, uh, and uh, initially, it's so weird because I'm from the countryside, and I never fit in on the countryside. And I feel like people in the countryside, they're very, you know, they're very local in their mind. They don't yeah. think globally. They yeah, don't no. think cosmically. Yeah. And so, we're the ones that... Or well, something, right? I'm sorry, I lost your sound. So I, I, I've got this kind of a feeling about like, oh, that countryside dialect to me represents, oh, this is somebody I can't talk deep with, right? And I have a strong feeling in my own head that when I start talking in my similar dialect to people on stage, they'll be like, oh, okay, I see what this is. This is yeah. a farmer. <laughs> and so I actually did English sets. And then I, for a while I was like, oh, this is going all right. You know, maybe I'm one of those guys who's just really good at it and never bombs. And then my 10th time, it was nine minutes of me just bombing unequivocally. <laughs> and after that, I was like, well, this is a nice line in the sand. Let's switch to Norwegian. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting coming back to the point we mentioned earlier uh, that about, you know, keeping everything in mind when you're on stage. It's. I find that I do more. Usually, I my English just tends to be immaculate grammar-wise, pronunciation-wise, yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. But yeah. I find that I make little errors more in English on stage than in Norwegian because that one little 0.1 percent of competency just gets you through when you're keeping all these other balls juggled sure, in your head, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I could. I could. Actually, you're muted to me right now. Oh, really? Do you hear me now? Yeah, we're having some issues because I can't hear you anymore. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, let's see. He can't hear me, everybody. So let me do this. I'm going to hang up on him. Yeah. And then we'll try it again. Technical issues. Boy, I need to hire a young Jamie like uh, Joe Rogan has done. Take care of all these technical things. Let's go. Here we go. Ringing up Mr. Sudvik. How about now? You hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Okay, there we go. You know, my uh, my podcast listeners know that anything can happen when it comes to the technical things here. So, uh, yeah, par for the course. <laughs> Perils of lives. 
Yeah. Live uh, yeah. streaming. Low, low budget podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, you were you were responding to my point about the, that little 0.1% of competency and how it just, you know, the... the yeah. yeah, and I forgot what I was going to say, but I, I think w the way I look at it anyway is if I'm going to be at my best, I have to be the most myself, and that means I have to speak English. Yeah. Um, how many other English-speaking comedians are out there? What's that guy's name from Australia? Um, James. Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's an English speaker. I I saw him killing a Norwegian recently. Oh, it was so funny because his his material tends to be really raunchy and edgy, and he's like he's very you know cheeky scamp. And then he went on stage and a Norwegian, and he just said all these kind of words that you know, like like you're not supposed to say the you know, mongoloid and words like right. that. But with his kind of when he spoke Norwegian, he sounded a bit like a child. <laughs> you know, little <laughs> pronunciation and grammar errors and stuff yeah. like that. He just sounded a bit simple. And then he starts throwing out this kind of language that's supposed to trigger us a bit. But yeah. it, it was just so hard to take seriously. So he totally got away with it. And I was like, this is this is wrong. It's Brilliant. funny, but it's wrong. <laughs> yeah. I guess I could see where I could work the language issue into my act. I kind of do in a way. I have a bit about my wife being Samisk and speaking in mm. the Finnmark dialect. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, for now, and I think for, for forever, I'm I'm just going to be speaking English in in my act, mm -hmm. uh, and and part of that has to do with marketing because eventually I want to film a one hour solo show, and I want to be able to market that uh, everywhere, not just in Norway. As broad as possible, yeah. yeah. Who who but stand up savvy are you going to lose with that transaction? Like, yeah, I'm sorry, it needs to be in Norwegian. You know, it's exactly. Uh, although, although I have yeah. seen, although I have seen some people in the audience rolling their eyes constantly as I'm up there doing my act, and I do believe it's because they're irritated because I'm speaking English. It's it's kind of funny. I can I can almost read their minds. They're thinking, "Oh my gosh, here's another foreigner in our country who doesn't speak the language," not knowing not knowing that I speak fluent Norwegian with a Finnmark accent. Yeah, I, f I find that really interesting when I see you make posts online, by the way, and you're writing in dialect as well. Ah, yes. And it's, it's so jarring. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. By, by the way, when we're talking about stand-up savvy audiences and stuff like that, I've, I, I have very minimal experience with this. I, I haven't been much outside of Oslo. It's mainly Oslo. I did one set in Drummond. I did one set in Bergen. And then also I went across the border. I went to Sweden and did two sets in Gothenburg in February. Ah, and I, I don't know, this might be not enough to go on, but it seems to me the Swedes are more savvy. Like Norwegians, they need to be fed things a bit more, whereas Swedes, they seem to follow the train of thought and the line. You know, Sometimes a really good punchline can occur only in their head, right? I but see. in Norway, that's hard work. Uh, there's, there's an opener I'm using right now, by the way, for example, to talk about my dialect, and I just address it by saying that, yeah, I'm from Sunmura, this, you know, peasantish region. And I go, uh, despite my dialect, I've never had sex with a sheep, uh, <laughs> right? Or with a farm animal. And then they laugh at that. And I go, yeah, that makes me a bit of a black sheep in that area, which isn't so good because, you know. And then that room is supposed <laughs> to laugh. They generally don't laugh. They need to hear the line. And I'm yeah. like, oh, man. I get that. I see that. And, and I think that is a cultural thing. Um, yeah. I talk a lot of shit about Norwegians. There's <laughs> five million of them, and I'm not afraid of any of them. But, uh, but, but one thing that I notice in, in Norway is that, in general, 
uh, I'll go so far as to say, for the most part, they have, it's almost like there's a barrier in front of their comedy door that you first have to get through before you can Mm -hmm. even open the door to being funny. It's a two-step process. Almost like you say, they have to hear, they have to be fed the line maybe twice over Mm -hmm. in order to catch the punchline. It's a difficult thing. After that, after that, you set the baseline. Okay, now we can generalize now, and make yes. it take some leaps. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, there goes my opener. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they're a little too practical. They're like, uh, you, you know, you can't you can't go into the satirical world as easily with Norwegians as you can with other uh, with other people. They're like, that's not true. Why is that funny? That's not true. You know. It's, uh, it's such a it's such a small country and it's so fresh to stand up to. I I used to think I didn't like Norwegian humor and com- comedians because the only thing that would come to conscience, uh, or you know, if you're in the countryside, the only thing you'd see or hear about would be major names like, and that's stuff that caters to the lowest common denominator, right? So it's accessible to all, and that's how you get success. It's the same with huge stand up in the U.S. too, right? You got sure. some you got some names that aren't exactly thought provocating, you know? Yeah. Uh, and but then I came to Oslo and I saw the underground. And I was like, "Oh man, there's some innovative, funny stuff," you know, that I, I I would feel a bit, you know, awestruck by, you know, like pretending to be a comedian among these people. So, well, I tell you, I got really excited about the Oslo uh, stand-up environment. That first time I went to Kofimir was the first mm-hmm. time being in Oslo to do stand-up, and I was there for about an hour and a half before show start. And there were a ton of comedians. And I I, I always wondered what happened to them because they disappeared. I thought they were going to go on, but they disappeared. But they were hanging out, drinking and just yucking it up, smoking a little this, that and the other. And Mm. there's maybe seven or eight of them. And these guys were hilarious just sitting around talking. I'm like, is yeah. this is this what it's like in Oslo? And I got really yeah. excited, and I'm thinking, okay, now I'm going to start. I'm going to try and book myself more often in Oslo. I did that second thing at Coffee Meet where I saw you right around the first week of March, and then yeah, the final show. Yeah, and then boom, Corona, coronavirus, mm-hmm. and now nothing. I haven't done anything since then. Oh, really? I've been up, actually tonight I'm going up the 18th time since June 3rd, so I've, I've got a good streak going, I'm back awesome. to my normal rates. Awesome. Yeah. I haven't done anything, but a part of that, a part of that is, is COVID, uh, the coronavirus, but part of it is the, you know, this physical thing with my shoulder. My shoulder is so mm-hmm. bad after that last operation, I'm just walking around in pain and it's incredibly uncomfortable. So it's, it's an issue, it's an issue mm-hmm. to stand up literally stand up you know for 10 15 minutes and do a set it's it's hard it's very difficult yeah so well here's hoping that goes away and you can uh, get back to lifting and performing as you're used to yeah i'm still training i'm still doing that uh, mm. quite limited of course you know with a bad mm. shoulder is a lot that i can't do but uh i do what i can i do what mm. i can and when it comes to the, to my stand-up thing i'm still writing I'm still writing, so I'm real excited to try out this stuff. And I've kind of polished up some of the older stuff and whatnot. So eventually when I get out there, I'll I'll pick it up right where I left off. But you haven't been on since uh, Corona broke out? That's correct. Okay, here's here's the thing I found really interesting because... No, I'm sorry, once. I, I've been out once. I did one drumming show after Steinar's open. Okay, back. okay. Yeah, yeah. How was... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, and that was that one, yeah. How, how was that for you? Did you feel change having had that bigger break? 
You've done that before, I guess. Uh, yeah, you know, I my, my stand-up career, if we can even call it that, has been yeah. so choppy because yeah. it's been broken up by, I've had, since I started in March, I've had two shoulder operations. And after that, there's been a long period of not being able to do anything. So it's been really choppy, uh, and, and it's very frustrating because I've had so much fun when I have gotten up. I've been up maybe since, since March of last year, since March of 2019, I've been mm-hmm. up maybe 14, 15 times, and that's not a lot. That's not a lot at no. all. So. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 uh, I don't know. For me, I started so late, and I don't have, you know, you got, you got a bunch of strings to your fiddle there, right? Uh, whereas I'm kind of not, I haven't found like, my niche in life yet, and it's getting to be a bit late. So I, I was like, oh, okay, 34, let's not play around. So I'm going up every chance I get, whether it's an open mic with jugglers or whatever. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, from from September onward last year, I went up every like twice a week on average, and then came Christmas, and that two week break killed me. And then I went on stage afterwards, and I was like, "Oh man, this feels." Was I ever funny? And I started questioning it, and uh. it took me two or three gigs before I got comfortable again. And then comes COVID, and I was thinking, "Well, three months that's gonna that's gonna reset me completely." Yeah, yeah. But what I found was I was so much more appreciative of having a room and the energy in a room. I'd been sitting and writing in my room and stuff for a while. And okay. to finally be able to play with the energy of a room, I, I got a newfound appreciation of that afterwards. Well, that's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, you go through the writing process, you get this handful of material that you think is good, and then that excitement of finally, after so many months, getting yeah. to try. So when I finally get started, I won't be exactly starting from scratch because i have done it before but it will be a new chapter because of the long what it's been almost six months now since the last time i was on so at at least you got plenty of uh, i mean it's obvious that you're quite comfortable on stage yes as you've said that comes from having done music for so long and stuff like that so yeah you know that's that's a big deal already a lot of people they they have a hard time getting over that part yeah uh, it's it's good to to be able to just go beyond all of that and and just focus on on the material. In that sense, I have an advantage as a new beginner in stand up. I have an advantage because I'm not yeah. I'm not afraid to to be up there, and yeah. and I'm not afraid to bomb either. I actually enjoy it. If I see that the audience isn't getting it, uh, you know, uh, there's like there's that little flash of disappointment where I'm thinking, my goodness, I thought this was funny. Of course yeah. you think it's funny when you write it. You think it's good stuff, right? So there's yeah. that little flash of disappointment when I see that the crowd doesn't get it, but then I go right into challenge mode. It's like, okay, I'm going to see if I can, on the fly, if I can improvise this material that's not working and try and make it into something that they will accept. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy that process. Yeah, actually, I've had, a, I've had two sets since, uh, since June where I, I just... The, the room was like four people, six people. Yeah. So, so small. The, the energy is absent, so you can't really stoke and poke at that. And then you're just left with the room. And I'm after those two sets and feeling terrible afterwards, and I can't even, I can't even listen through it and be like, oh, you could do this. Or, you know, there's nothing to be gleaned from it. Right, right. And I'm like, next time I do that and it goes down that badly, I think halfway through I might just literally tear up my set list on stage and be like, all right, so what's going on here? <laughs> 
<laughs> is, it, is it me not being funny or you guys being picky? You know, what's up? And just engage the room because it's like, yeah, if they're not giving you anything, then then you have to sort of, okay, well, let's go directly at you guys and what's going on. There you go. And that's pretty much what I do. I go right yeah. in their face and it's like, okay, how are we going to make this work? Forget mm-hmm. the routine. Now it's over to improvisation because obviously the routine's not working. So. Uh, I did that once, and uh, the, the guy who went up before me was a guy who I'd only seen do like singer-songwriter music beforehand, and I thought he was like, oh well, because a lot of people, you know, magicians as well, you can tell they're like, oh, the comedians, they're so cool, you know, <laughs> this, you know, not to be not to be too paying my, <laughs> no, I get it, no, I, my coworkers on the back, but uh, uh, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a certain allure to stand up, sure, sure. And uh, and I I was a bit annoyed. I was like, man, this guy's going up on stage for the first time. He gets he's getting way more yucks than me. And after I just kind of I just kind of went off on stage a bit about that. I was like, oh man, you guys, you know. I, I went into <laughs> again. That's Bill Hayes, right? Kind yep, of like, yep, oh, yep. You fuckers, huh? And then and then uh, they they were laughing hard because apparently an annoyed me is a is a funny me. I, <laughs> I find that when I tap into the annoyed and worked up energies and stuff, those tend to work for me. So well, see, that's clearly, kinda- yeah. That's the self-discovery that comes with repetition. You know, the yeah. more the more sets we do, the more we're going to know ourselves. Uh, the more we're going to know the crowd, and I put that in quotes, the crowd, because even though each location is different, the crowd is the crowd. <laughs> you yep. know, uh, um, it manifests itself in different ways depending on where you are. But the crowd is the crowd, and you mm-hmm. have to learn how to deal with that. And the, the more often we do it, the more the the, the easier it's going to be. Uh, and the, the, the fewer of those moments of self-doubt we will have. And that's what I look forward to, getting rid of the self-doubt. Oh, oh my goodness. Like, there's, there's been a few milestones early on where, where I was like, this is, these are huge pointers as far as I'm concerned. One of the main ones is keeping your face when it's going poorly. If you can make it seem like you're not cracking, you're not sweating, you're not freaking out, that'll buy you a minute or two. Yes. But yeah. if they can tell you're sweating, it's like, oh, man. This guy's in charge of the atmosphere yeah. in the room, and I'm not sure I trust him. You know? <laughs> no, I, um, I wonder how long is it going to go before the club scene gets back to normal? normal? Because it looks like the, the corona situation is getting slightly worse. I mean, it's not a crisis here in Norway like it is in yeah. other countries like the United States, for example, but it is getting... Uh, the, the, the number of, of um, cases is rising, and I wonder mm-hmm. what they're going to do with the club scene. The numbers are still so far away from March, but um, that's true. Uh, yeah. From like, from I can tell, places there's a number of places in Oslo that are now opening back up again. So I'm uh, like, you know, Steinar's uh, open mic, uh, which you've been to a couple of times, like where mm-hmm. I met you the first time. Uh, that guy is such a good guy trying to get everybody in. He's trying to be diverse. He doesn't just want stand-ups. He doesn't just want a bunch of white dudes. You know, he's like, okay, let's make sure this is a diverse and good show. And he, he's, it's been obvious that there's a huge bottleneck in terms of bookings with him. Yeah. And where I would previously be able to get on every week. Now it's like, eh, I can do it twice this month. Well, Steinart is becoming... And he's becoming, just about to get back to normal. Yeah, he's becoming a key, or he is a key figure in uh, the, the stand-up world in, in Oslo. What a guy. I, lo- I love him. Oh, me too, yeah. And he's, you know, he's hosting is always on point as well. Oh, yeah, I, I love that guy. He, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and after, after that last show I did where I just totally dropped my act and I ended up singing and telling people yeah. what was going on in my heart, I did not have the heart to, uh, to, to bill him for that booking. Oh, really? 
that's how much I love that guy. <clears throat> and it would be, because he, he booked me to do stand-up, and I ended up doing more of a soliloquy on uh, brokenheartedness, and, and, and I ended up singing, so that's not what he booked me for. So, so to be fair, I mean, have you seen, have you seen uh, Chappelle's 846? Yes, I have. Since that yeah, night, I, I mean, have seen it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that like when I start talking about him, their hairs start standing up on my arm. Yes, that guy he gives you like six, seven laughs over the course of those twenty-seven minutes or whatever. But he's you're captivated, and you were captivating, you know. Uh, and uh, oh, thank you. The fact that you yeah, the fact that you just improvised and out, and you were like, you know what, I'm not ready to go there today, and then you made it. You just had this sort of somber moment, yeah, and closed it with this sort of. Uh, yeah, you know, resistance song with the with the acapella with the band. You know, that yeah, was uh, yeah. no. That's that's their money's worth. I would have billed for that, but uh, you know, I, I appreciate your integrity you. on that point. Well, yeah, no, as a comic. Well, well, thank you for that for that uh, feedback and that compliment. But I, I uh, talk about being in the moment. I was so much in the moment there that I realized I couldn't continue trying to be mm -hmm. funny. It was yeah. that simple. I just could, I, I couldn't. I was thinking about everything going on back home in the States. I was thinking about the, my son dying and all that stuff. And I just had to take a step back and tell the audience what was going yeah. on. And I'm, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did that. Shout, shout out to Steinart again for uh, for keeping the door open for me. I, I was seriously worried that he was going to get pissed and, and for, <laughs> forbid me to come back. Because, I, I don't know, I guess it's, it's – I have a loyalty to the, to, to the booking you know, I was book, mm -hmm. booked to do this. This is what I should do. But I didn't yeah. do this. I did that. So <laughs> They thought they were booking this. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I, I find no, I, I was dead sure that Steiner was not going to mind it at all because, you know, the, the room was enjoying itself and the, it was a poignant moment and stuff. And the show moved on. It didn't put a dampener or anything, yeah. you know. And yeah. I, I, I'd be interested to hear that material because I'm, I'm curious how you make your son's death uh, funny. But uh, <laughs> I'll, I'm sure I'll get to hear that someday when you're off it's, stage. Uh, it's... Uh, that that is probably the most solid part of my routine. I've got that part oh. down solid. I've done it I've done it often enough in front of a crowd and I've rewritten things to the point to where that is a that's a solid piece and it makes people think. It makes me think. It helps mm -hmm. me to heal. Uh, and that, yep. that's why I do it. I because I, I don't know. I've said this so many times before on my podcast. I have no clue how to work through the death of my son. I have no idea what to do. So yeah. I just put it into my routine. It's crazy. It's weird. It's a huge challenge, but that challenge is helping me to heal. I don't know how. Have you, have you seen, have you seen, uh, there's a special by, uh, oh, what's his name? He's the guy who's the kooky brother and king of Queens, Pat Oswald. Right? Yes, Pat Oswald. Have you seen his Annihilation show? No, I he haven't. He talks about the death of his wife. No, I haven't seen that. No. <sighs> it's, it's rough, man. And it's devastating and funny in equal measure. It's, it's so good. I should and, check uh, that out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I would recommend it. I'm, I've never I'm seen any of his stuff. I've never seen any oh. of his stuff. I've, I, I don't know. I don't He's nerdy. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know. I guess it's just it's just happened that way that I've never seen any of his stuff live. So I'm really not familiar with him as a stand-up at all. But I'll check no, that he's, out. He's, he's definitely a good stand-up. Uh, as soon as I started doing stand-up, I've gotten way more respect for the craft. Uh, actually, I got tickets to see Chappelle in in uh, March, which is eh, because it's in a huge hangar, you know? Yeah. It's not in a room. You don't yeah. feel that intimacy at all. Yeah. And so it was kind of weak. But the month before, I saw Judah Friedlander, who had never checked out before. I knew he's a funny dude. But then for 90 minutes, me and my friend were just looking at each other, a fellow comic, and we were just kind of giving each other the eyes that said, 
how's he doing this? How's he <laughs> leaving us breathless for 90 minutes just yeah. like that, you know? Can you so, uh, can you see yourself doing a one-hour solo show? Yeah, I can picture it. It's, yeah. it's brick by brick. You stack yeah. it, right? Exactly. So. I had a whole plan mapped out for 2020. <clears throat> mm. I was going to... Um, actually, if we go back to last summer, uh, Bobek and I had planned to book ourselves into like a 45 minute show, a dual show. I would do 20, 25 minutes and he would do 20, 25 minutes. And my plan was to do that all summer and then uh, slowly build up from having a 25 minute set to a 25 minute set to a 30 minute set and so on and build up to an hour so that I could then record a one hour solo special in December of 2020. So we were going to do that touring all summer and then uh, all summer of last year and then all the way through this year up until December. And now all of that is just out the window because of the Corona thing. But that was my plan was to just build it up brick by brick, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's another thing I find so fascinating about comedy is that it's it's eminently learnable. You just need to put in the work and you'll, you know, you'll see those gains, those increments. Do you think it's frustrating, though, to have, because most of the spots that are available to us are those 5, 10, mm. may, maybe 15 minute long periods on the mic. Do you find that frustrating when it comes to, when it comes to building out your material? A little bit. But at the same time, I, I acknowledge that there's some basic chops that I still haven't gotten reliably down yet. And if you can't do a type 5 reliably how are they going to give you 15, right? So, exactly. And it, actually, it's interesting. It, it, one, of the, one of the things, that, that podcast that I talked about with the stand-up, that one of the things one of the guys running it says, he says, in the beginning, you're uh, unconsciously incompetent. <laughs> then you become consciously incompetent. Then you become consciously competent. And then you get become unconsciously competent. So you start out not knowing that you suck. And at that point, it was easy for me to do 20 minutes because I had no idea. And I'm glad I don't have recordings of it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think, I think if, if somebody threw 15 minutes at me now, I'd find it hard to do a red thread to have the right pacing. And it's, it's probably something that will take some time to pick up. But I'd love the opportunities. And uh, as you say, it's hard to get any longer sessions nowadays. So. How much solid material do you have now at the moment? <sighs> It's a hard solid. question. I know I like solid. I have an eight minute set that I was really pleased with and that kind of retired, uh, or at least for now. Uh, and then and now I've got this five minute routine down that I, I do if I want to do a good set. And then I don't know, I've, I've got I've got a bunch of two minute bits that I'm looking to flesh out. Okay. So it's I don't know, I, I would say in terms of material and jokes that I'm, I kind of want to keep persisting with, I'm sure I've got half an hour that I, I would trust to go on stage with. Yeah. 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 Well, that was what, what, what was happening with me was that I was bombing quite often or at least not satisfied with myself quite often because I was constantly trying out new material. Yeah. And right around the time of when, when Corona started, right around that time at Steiner's Open Mic, I decided, okay, you know what? I know that I've got a solid 15 minutes. Let me just repeat this solid 15 minutes for a while. Yeah and make it even more solid and then yeah. bra branch out from there. I think that's part of the reason why I was so frustrated before Steiner's yeah. open mic. I was consistently, constantly trying out new stuff. And of course, when you try out new stuff, half of it will work, but half of it is garbage. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of disappointment. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I prefer to mix and match and have like, okay, I know these are some yeah. good lines. I'll have a good opener. I'll have a good closer. And I'll throw in some stuff in the middle and hope it goes well. Well, Yon Yarda said to me, he said, I need to allow myself to enjoy myself. Of course, you want to stretch out a little. Of course, you mm. want to try new stuff and challenge yourself. But you also need to allow yourself to enjoy yourself. Yeah. You know, stick to oh, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, stick to what you know is going to work, so that you can get that experience of having a successful set, whether it's five yeah. minutes, ten minutes, whatever. Yeah, and that yeah, was yeah. that was let's, good advice. That was good advice. Yeah, let's let's not eat more shit than we have to. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> not like it's not like I like the taste of it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. I know it builds character, but it does not taste good. So, uh, so, so, yeah. so, give me a give me a stand up hero that you have, and tell me why he or she is your hero. Oh, there's one guy for me that's kind of unparalleled, and that's Stuart Lee. He's a British guy. S T E W, not yeah. And um, he's basically a guy who's been going since the '80s, and he 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 had a problem finding his niche, and uh, after a while, he realized how you cultivate a certain audience, and he's beloved by critics panned by the general, you know, the sun and stuff like that. I see. Yeah. Uh, it, it requires some working knowledge of what comedy can be and what normal comedy is. And then he kind of toys with it. He deconstructs it. Like I said, he did that one joke where he's talking about, like, I, I didn't say that because I'm not funny in real life. You know, yeah. I wrote it down and then came back two weeks later. You know, that's, yeah. that's most com comedians would not open up the hood and let you take a gander underneath like that you know oh that's quite that's being quite vulnerable in front of the audience yeah yeah and uh yeah he's he's uh i i i'll toss some uh links at you if you fancy because that guy he's the guy who made me want to get up and do it uh I, bill hicks made me think that it was a noble thing to do uh but he's the guy who made me think oh this this can be done yeah yeah send uh, me send me some links then afterwards yeah because I've, sure I've never because so. i've never seen him before i've never heard of him but send me some links yeah mm. Uh, I just wanted to say though before, because I know we're we're reaching uh, the hour mark, but uh, there's there's one thing that was kind of really a ha moment for me last year, and that was uh, you know do you know uh, you know Daniel Ruva? No. no, no. Okay, he's a guy from uh, Trondheim, and he's a very charming dude, very funny, and he he's hosting he hosts he used to host at a place called Misfunnels Bar, which is this just really cramped, dank, narrow attic, <laughs> which you can't have more than five people in now. With oh, wow. breaking quarantine rules, right? <laughs> so it, that's out now. But it used to be the most intimate atmosphere you could imagine. And I kept pestering that dude and being like, hey, can I get up on stage? Because I really want to do that room. And he's like, yeah, sure, sure. Down the line, down the line. And for months, he just, you know, played me off. And then he's after a while, he was like, okay, I can put you on. Uh, how about late December? And I look at the lineup and I see when that finally comes up and it's got uh, a woman called Dina Hashem in it. You ever heard of her? Yes, yeah. Yes, Dina Hashem, you know, for those who don't know, she's an Arab-American comedian, right? And she's done like five minutes on Conan. She's open for Mark Maron. She's yes. won roast battles in New York. She's done the New York scene for 10 years. Still not working a full-time comedian, which is kind of depressing for the prospects. But, uh... But anyway, she went on stage, and then she couldn't watch the Norwegian sets and understand those. So I, I basically took advantage of that, and she was like, okay, she's down on her phone. Let's bother her. <laughs> and, yes. Yeah, and, and I asked her a bunch of stuff, and I, I tried to relate to her, and she basically mirrored back what I was thinking, is that you go through life, you're awkward, you're not the funny, gracious, life-of-the-party guy, <sighs> and then you go on stage, and you can turn that outward and make it a superpower. What yes. you perceive as a weakness is now a strength. That, to me, was a huge game-changer. And when you're talking earlier about bombing not being bad, 
usually in life, if something goes hard it, it, for me, I'm, I'm like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. You know, it doesn't yeah. take a lot to discourage me. But if I have a terrible set, it'll I'll stew for five minutes and then I'll be like, okay, let me at him. You know, I want to yeah. re- rectify this yes. right away. There's something challenging about stand-up and that, that makes me at least want to plow through it and make it right. When it's not going well, I, I've got to stick to it. I've got to, you know, if it's not right then and there during the set where I'm literally going to plow through it, it's afterwards when I'm doing that evaluation. Okay, how could I have made this better? And I, I love that challenge. As much as it's painful and uncomfortable, I love that challenge. Yeah. I just love it. Yeah. Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea. I would have, but then again, I also wonder. Life, like comedy, is timing, and I wonder if I'd figured this out when I was 24, and oh yeah, I like going on stage. Would I've been burnt out by now? Would I've not been stressing out and trying to learn as much so fast? Because, you know, would I not been in the right place mentally to do it? Maybe the timing was just right for me to go at it both feet. You know. Yeah. So I'm trying not to question it too much. I know that when I'm 50, I'll be really annoyed with myself if I put limits on myself because, oh, I'm 35, you know. Yeah, you know, I, as a 50-year-old, 51, <laughs> actually, uh, that is one thing that I can definitely uh, speak on. Um, mm. I'm so glad that I have never held myself back, ever, in my entire mm. adult life, held myself back from doing something I wanted to do, trying something that I wanted to try. So I have so many interesting experiences that mm-hmm. I've learned from. Not that everything has been success, but I have, I have learned so much from it so that by the time I'm this age, I'm pretty much fearless. I'm not afraid to try anything. And I love yeah. it. It's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I thought I wouldn't be able to deal with this, though. I was so sure that I would, it would make me beat myself up. And I didn't initially. But after a while, you start trusting yourself a bit more. Yeah. But... Um, Actually, what I did beforehand, when I moved to Oslo, I started working as a, a trying to wrangle people on the street to donate to charity, like oh. monthly donations yeah. to, you know, uh, charities for kids, education and stuff like that in the third world, or whatever the politically correct phrase nowadays is. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, but anyway, uh, and then I did that, and it, I got burnt out a bit, but it basically meant that from 10 to 6 every day, I was walking out on the street trying to make five-minute friends. Yeah. And after that, I was like, well, going on stage, you know, I'll do that now. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. But it's so funny. Everybody comes up to you and goes, it's so brave that you go on stage. And I'm like, it's the lowest stakes ever. If you screw up in stand-up, nobody laughs at you. Like, yeah. it's the opposite of what happens when you screw up in <laughs> other avenues. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Although there is a certain amount of anonymity. Mm-hmm that one as a new comic can enjoy. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, if, if we bomb, it's not that big a deal because no one's really expecting much from us and we're aware. No, and we're sell the and story to TMZ. Exactly. <laughs> and we're aware of that. And there's a certain amount of freedom in that knowledge, but I mm. wonder how, um, what's his name? Zahid Ali, someone like that. If they right. have a bad set, I wonder how hard, that hits them because there is a crowd with expectations from someone like that. Yeah. I wonder how how that is. I saw him live last year just when I was really, I I was getting into it. I was in the same, that that show that I was talking about in Myeongdong. That was with, that was with him. Yeah. 
Yeah. When I saw him, he was just getting back into the saddle after a break, and he had all these notes and stuff. <laughs> and it was it was so obvious that he you know hadn't marshaled everything yet, and he was pretty upfront about that, which is fine. Well, yes, but, uh, matter of fact, he's the one that told me the very first time I went on. He was he yeah. was there. This was in Drummond. He was working on his new material, oh, right. and he had this big you know four by four uh, notepad. Uh, with like 10 pages of notes and he was scribbling and he took it out with him and stuff. And I, afterwards I went up to him, I said, Hey man, I'm new. Uh, this is my first time. I had so much trouble remembering. It's okay to bring out. He says, yeah, man, bring a notepad or put it on your phone and look at your phone. He's the one that told me that I never, I never would have considered that. And I've actually yeah. only done it once. I did it once at St when, uh, that time at Steinart. I actually yeah. had uh, some notes that I had written. Yeah. You can you can have some fun with that. That's that's one of the things I really like about stand-up. And one of the things that the, the Stuart Lee that I mentioned is so good at showing that it's such a pliable medium. Like, I, I had this one set where I was basically just it basically is just me bitching about different things. And as I go down <laughs> the set list, at one point at one point I go another thing that pisses me off is, and then I just pick up the set list and I go actually this isn't so much a set list. It's just a list of shit that pisses me off. <laughs> and and that's enough to get the crowd laughing. Yeah, and, uh, yeah I've used yeah. a set list to get a laugh. You know, it's uh, the the main thing is that you you know if you come across as clumsy or stupid, it doesn't matter as long as you arrive at funny. Sure. So sure. yeah, yeah. Well, hey, listen, I gotta run. My mm. uh, beloved wife, my beloved Snoopy, is about to step out, and she needs a hug before she goes out there. If I don't calm <laughs> her down before she goes out into the world, she'll hurt people. So. <laughs> yeah, you, that story about her Sami knife isn't, uh, <laughs> it's not made up. Hey man, there's a lot of truth in my stand-up material, okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I like it. But listen, man, I I enjoyed talking uh, with you. I enjoyed getting into your head a little bit and, and, and hearing your views on stand-up and hearing how it's going. I think you got a good future in front of you. I liked you from the very first time I, 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 I listened to you. So, uh, yeah, good Thank luck you. with everything I, I you used do. To... I used to not be able to take compliments, but I've gotten used to it. So thank you very much. Yeah, uh, just do, do keep me in mind if you're here about Mjöndalm or something needing some fresh meat. Yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna do that. I tell you, it's a great place to perform. Next time mm. something's going on out there, I'll give you a holler. Mm. All right, thanks for being on. Thank you so much for having me on, man. It was a uh, it was fun. Pleasure. All right, bye everybody. I'm coming home. Yes, I'm coming home I'm coming home